Hi. 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 Hello. I'm curious about. I'm curious about. I'm curious about. I'm curious about building open, authentic, loving relationship. I'm curious about jealousy. I'm curious about polyamory. Does it just mean that you're fucking all the time? How can I tell my parents that my partner is already married? I'm curious about... How do you know when you're too busy to have another relationship? I'm curious about dominant and subordinate relationships. I'm curious about sexual health. How can relationships evolve with people as they grow and change? Resentment is actually, um, it's like resentment is aged anger is the best way that I can uh, describe mm. resentment. So when anger ages like a good wine, it ain't so good <laughs> and it becomes resentment. <laughs> so that's what resentment is. And it's often because you have unresolved anger. Welcome to the Curious Fox podcast. This podcast is for those who challenge the status quo in love sex, and relationships. My name is Effie Blue. And I'm Jacqueline Misla. And on today's episode, Effie and I are going to answer your questions. Yay. So here is usually where we share some small piece of our lives and go down an insightful or hilarious rabbit hole. But today we're going to skip all that because we want to jump right into your questions and make as much time for questions as possible. Thank you. Really heartfelt thank you to everyone who submitted a question via email, sent us voice memo, or left us voice messages. It was really fun and interesting to sort through all the questions and hear from foxes all around the world. Definitely. I think we should definitely do more of these episodes, but it was so nice to capture all all the questions and listen to all the voices and gather them all together. So let's dive in. Let's start with a voice memo uh, that we received. I wonder if I should put on hold all relationships or prospect relationships until I have some sort of clarity on what it is that I want. And sometimes I also wonder how to balance emotional responsibility with the autonomy and self-respect. So there were actually two questions here, right? So let's start with the first one. Should I put my relationship on hold until I'm clear about what I want? Yeah, it's a great question. I think first, let me say, it is absolutely worth the time to reflect on your needs, your desires, your past relationships, your vision for your future, and all of that stuff to determine what kind of partners and partnerships you would like to be in. In fact, Effie and I put together a whole workbook with reflection sheets that you can use to help uncover and clarify important pieces of your intimate, intellectual, sexual, and domestic self. So yes, reflect discover, explore, and there are some things that can only be discovered via connection with others. Exactly. Reflection and understanding are great, but at some point, really the only real way to discover and and evolve is doing the thing, actually reaching out for relationships and experiencing them. I think the key here is as you do go on your journey for discovery and evolution, that you are honest with the people that you are dating that you let them know that you're figuring out what you want and and you're discovering and you're learning and you want to reflect and be open-hearted and open-minded. And as you do so, be open-minded and open-hearted and remain curious and constantly check in with yourself. And I think as long as you are open with the people and transparent with the people that you're dating, at some point you kind of have to take the plunge and go on the dates 
and feel into those relationships, feel into those connections, and then see how you feel and whether your experiences align with some of the discoveries that you've come to through reflection and thought. And what does that mean? Because we ask, you know, so it sounds like you're saying we should be honest with the, with ourselves and with the people that we're dating, which makes complete sense to me. And I know that sometimes people say, you know, I want a whole person who knows themselves. And sometimes knowing yourself also knows that you're still in discovery mode. So I'm just wondering what that sounds like when you are on a first date or when you're starting to, you know, DM someone on, on Instagram or OkCupid. What does that sound like? Is it to say... I am in the process of figuring out all the things that light me up and I'm interested in exploring some of that with you. Like what, what, what does some of that transparency look like? Yeah, I think if you, for example, if you are not ready to, if you're not clear on exactly what you want, right? So a version of being clear would be like, I am ready for a family. I'm looking for a partner who's also ready for a family. I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm thinking nesting. I'm thinking parenting i'm thinking committing my life from now on till whenever to rear children right this is one one way of getting very clear or another version of being clear would be you know i want to be just if i want to swing hard the other way it could be like i want to be in a relationship and a partnership where we're going to run around the world and discover new parts of the world and travel and not have any commitments and live out of a suitcase or even a backpack and the priority would be to adventure and exploration right that would be being clear and if you're being clear if you're that clear you should absolutely state that with the people Mm -hmm. that you're dating this is what i'm looking for the opposite of that would be i'm not really sure what i want right now i'm not really sure what um what i need you know i'm not really sure what i want i'm not really sure what i want my life and relationship to look like i'm not really sure where I want to go in terms of a relationship i'm in i'm in a discovery mode Mm -hmm. i would say the nuanced difference here is authenticity. There's a difference between being avoidant, not wanting to commit, and saying, I don't know what I want from that place, right? Is you're almost keeping the other person on hold, mm. being at an arm's length, you know, keep them at an arm's length. You're sort of not committing. You don't mm-hmm. want to, you know, if it comes with like feelings of being engulfed and you, like, if you're there, that's a very different place than. Like I'm open-minded, I'm open-hearted, I'm learning, I'm exploring, mm. I'm in a dynamic state. And I'm as I do those things, I'm going to report back to you and I will shift from that position, right? Mm. So if you are sort of saying, I don't know what I want to people in an effort to sort of keep them at an arm's length, that's, not, that's a static space versus I don't know what I want, but I'm in a journey to find out with an open mind and open heart. Therefore, I'm, a dynamic, I'm at a dynamic place, right? Mm. Those are very two different states. They may look the same from the outside. The communication might sound the same from the outside, but you need to be you need to be in touch with yourself internally and decide like where am I is it is this a dynamic state? If you are truly open-minded and open-hearted, and if you are truly curious about the other person and the the you know, what are the common places, what can you what you're learning, what resonates and what doesn't resonate, and you're reporting real life and being transparent and being honest with yourself and with them, that's an experiential state that you can go through, right? You might be so lucky that you meet the person that you align with in your first go, right? A little unlikely, but you never know. I think the idea is that you have an intention to connect versus Mm -hmm. an intention not to connect. And therefore, you're just saying, I don't know what I want. Yeah, that makes complete sense to me. I remember when I started to date after opening up my marriage, I 
dated a number of people before landing in the relationship that I'm in right now. And each of them really was with the intention of being in exploring that particular partnership. Each one revealed in itself something that I realized, like in the first one, I realized it was much more sexual energy and we weren't spending a lot more enough time getting to know each other. And that Mm -hmm. felt out of balance for me. And so then I shifted. And then the next one was much more intellectual and conversational and not as sexual. So I was like, okay, then that needed to balance. And the other one I realized I wanted, I was like trying to be in girlfriend mode and that person wasn't there for that. And I was like, oh, okay, now I know this about myself. So frankly, Mm -hmm. by the time that I met my current partner, in the beginning, like the first like few exchanges between us, I was like, here's what I know. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I'm a good, I know how to be a partner. I know how to be a wife. I, and that's like where I want to be at. I know that I want this. I want this. I want this. I want this. And like, mm-hmm. here's what I don't know. And that information was like gathered via field research, <laughs> if you will. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I would also say sometimes when we're looking for a partner, when we're looking for a, a relationship that we get too focused on the other side of things so we get to focus on the relationship we got to to focus on the other person Mm. i would say spending some time figuring out yourself in a way that you are aligned and that you understand your thriving state Mm -hmm. which is going to be your clue right so the other people are going to be whatever they're going to be you're going to have very little control over them what you will have is yourself an insight to yourself and a connection to yourself and you know that a relationship will work for you where it will contribute and nurture and sustain your thriving state as much as possible, right? This is what we say about relationship by design. You design a relationship so that it can sustain and nurture your thriving state. Most of us don't have access to and insight to our thriving state. What does it feel like? What are the conditions that get us there? What what gets in the way? Um, and figuring that out and being aligned with your thriving state so that when you meet somebody, when you embark on a relationship, when you are exploring a connection, you can say, oh, is this igniting my thriving state? Is this sustaining my thriving mm-hmm. state? Do I find myself connecting to that, to that, that higher self? And I think that is an important, I think that's a, a worthwhile reflection. Mm-hmm. to really like work that muscle of knowing oh here's what it looks like when I'm thriving here's what it feels like so that when you are in that state you can say oh yeah like that person that person or this relationship or these people or these relationships really uh, nurture that state mm-hmm. right and one other thing that I would I would add since you were working on that skill by the way these are all muscles these are all emotional intellectual insightful reflection muscles Also working on the skill and the internal connection to know when something feels good or not, right? It's, it's sometimes something that we don't, we don't really have a connection to. We can, some of, it's one of the core reasons why we cross our own boundaries or we're unable to state our boundaries in the first place because we've lost touch with what feels good or not. Sometimes, especially at the beginning of the relationships, we are so concerned with the other person, how the other person is feeling, how they are perceiving you, um, where the relationship is going. Do they like you or do you feel that you like them? And, and we sort of get so caught up in that. We get disconnected from ourselves. I think really working that muscle so that you can remain both connected with yourself and still have an open connection to other pers- the other person can help you. It's like that's the, that's the work worth doing before you start dating rather than thinking about all the different values and all the different aspects of the other person. Hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I do think that there is a disconnect there. And it also makes me think about the podcast episode that we just recorded. So if you haven't heard the episode right before this, where we talk about potential and possibility and being Mm -hmm. aware of not falling in love with potential and possibility, Mm -hmm. that's something to listen to, too, to help with the answer to this question, that as you are as you're exploring different relationships and you're starting to feel what feels good for you, recognize, is it this real person who is actually in front of me, mm-hmm. the connection with this person, or is the potential of being in a relationship and we may have babies together. We're going to travel mm-hmm. the world together. Like if, if it is the potential and possibility that feels good, just be, be mindful that that's a little bit of a red flag. And, mm-hmm. you know, could you thrive in the, in this current state as is and be really happy? happy. Um, yeah, that makes sense to me. And, and I, and I also heard you talking about ensuring that you and your, in yourself, you're at a thriving state. Can you talk a little bit more about that around like, what do you need to do to ensure that outside of partnership, you feel strong, you feel whole? If you're not dating to get clear, if you've taken a pause to get clear about things, I suggest that you use that time to also, and maybe more so, on strengthening all the things outside the relationship. Mm. That's friends and family and community and purpose and passion. All those things, those will allow you to create safety and security and stability in multiple areas of your life. Rather than having you focus on needing that from a romantic partnership Mm. or a romantic relationship so that you can look at a relationship as a place to thrive rather than a place to survive. And I think that's when we struggle, when we look at a relationship as as a part of our survival system. Mm And then we're triggering, that's when we're triggering attachment stuff, right? The whole attachment um, stuff, which we've done multiple episodes on and we will continue to talk about because it's so important. That attachment struggles are triggered when we are in a survival state. So if we strengthen everything else around us, if we have make sure that we feel safe and stable and secure in all the other areas of, of our lives, then we might not look for that within the relationship. Then you're in that juicy, delicious, wonderful place of thriving and growing and and evolving. Mm, I love that. Yeah. So it feels like the answer to this question is don't go on hold, like explore. So either explore yourself, explore your friends, family, community, purpose, passion, and be in that exploration. And when you feel like it's time to be in partnership, you will explore that. And Mm -hmm. or explore both and explore Mm -hmm. who you are through your connection with other people, as long as you're doing that, you know, with transparency. So Mm -hmm. the answer is both. Take time to know yourself, build your thriving self outside of partnership. And we can, we can, in our Instagram stories, after we post this podcast, we can put a link to the workbook that Effie and I created, Mm -hmm. Relationship by Design Concepts of Mm -hmm. Know Thyself. And then date honestly, date mindfully in a way that you want to learn more about what you want in relationships to build intimacy with others. So that was just part one. There's a part two to the question, which was, how do I balance emotional responsibility with autonomy and self-respect? Short question, but like so, so much in there, so much to unpack. Yeah. And I have to admit, like we had to ponder on this. Like we had to really ponder uh, what this person means about emotional responsibility as opposed to balancing that out with autonomy and self-respect. And I think where we landed is that this idea of uh, emotional responsibility is 
um, how you feel about the other person's emotional state, right? Like you and your partner or partners, how much do you owe them to support their emotional well-being and and emotional state? Mm. And Mm -hmm. I think there are a few cues that I would uh, suggest like there's some emotional cues that you can um that you can look out for that can tell you oh I think I am more involved with the other person's well-being than myself mm. that I am feeling like I'm losing my sense of autonomy and my self-respect because I'm sort of cross the lines the other side and I'm too aligned too engulfed too enmeshed with the other person the emotional cues that I suggest are resentment if you're feeling resentment that's definitely a a pause, mm-hmm. right? Resentment is actually, um, it's like resentment is aged anger is the best way that I can mm-hmm. uh, describe resentment. So when anger ages like a good wine, it ain't so good <laughs> and it becomes resentment. <laughs> so that's what resentment is. And it's often because you have unresolved anger, mm-hmm. right? So if you cross that line within yourself, within the context too many times and you're you're pissed essentially and you don't mm-hmm. deal with it yeah right that builds resentment that's a cue mm-hmm. and we talk about that when we did the podcast episode around caregiving and mm-hmm. how we often put ourselves in situations where we want to care for others we want to care mm-hmm. for our partners we are the person who asks what can we do and we want to serve and acts of service is a big part mm-hmm. of the way that we show love mm-hmm. and at some point some mysterious line gets crossed in mm-hmm. our minds where that where something that felt like it was given from our spirit and our generosity now comes something that feels that we feel resentful around mm-hmm. or we feel obliged mm-hmm. to do and just mm-hmm. being able to pick up on that, that at what point are you being emotionally supportive? And Mm. then it switches in your mind to a frustration that they don't have self-respect or autonomy or that you are not demonstrating those values Mm. because of this emotional enmeshment that you have Mm. with each other. Right. Um, Exactly. So that's kind of one cue. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would say the the, the other emotional cue to watch out for is um, a sense of obligation. Yeah. So the way to, the way to kind of I guess, figure out if you're feeling a sense of obligation is to watch out for like accompanying feelings like guilt, Mm. right? So um, to find out if you feel obliged for something, look for signs of guilt, like ask yourself, what if I don't do this? If you then feel guilt, that's your cue that you probably feel obliged. Mm -hmm. Like, And those are just cues. Everyone's built differently. So these are like cues and clues for you to kind of do some emotional auditing. Mm-hmm. And if you are operating from a place of obligation with a um, punishment of guilt, that's also a sign that you may have crossed the line, mm-hmm. that you may be taking on more than you are prepared to, you're willing to, you're able to in that moment, that it might also be like, okay, this is probably beyond what is your emotional responsibility. Mm-hmm. And then the third thing is something that we mentioned a couple of times is really about um, this idea of enmeshment, right? We we use this term enmeshment. Um, Mm -hmm. Enmeshment is essentially when you, the way that I explain it in sessions always is like when you lose sight of where you end and the other person begins, Mm -hmm. which can sound a little esoteric, um, like a good practical way to think about it is, is when how you feel is how I feel. Right. Mm. So your emotional state has a direct impact on my emotional state that in a way that I have no control over. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And that I want to control it because that's the only way that I can be regulated. Right. So right. if you're angry, I can't tolerate your anger. It makes me upset or it makes me sad. It makes me feel guilty that I can't separate my yeah, my set of emotions from your set of emotions. Mm. That resonates with me because I'm thinking about things that when I think about a feeling that I may in my mind think that I am creating in the other person, then I think about how do I change my own behavior to possibly present prevent them from feeling what they're going to feel. So what I mean by that is if I'm thinking to myself, oh, I really want to take tonight just to myself. I have I have felt like I am being consumed by all of the people around me or my tasks or my work or whatever. And I need tonight off. And I think to myself, oh, but whomever I'm supposed to spend time with tonight, be it my partners or my daughter, they might feel disappointed. Then I will think, okay, what can I do to curb their disappointment? Mm-hmm. Do I cancel on myself? Do I say I'm going to cancel with them, but immediately then suggest some sort of more extravagant makeup night mm-hmm. so that they feel mm-hmm. better? Like I immediately can start to think about how my feelings and my needs will trigger them negatively mm-hmm. and then my responsibility to navigate that on their behalf. Mm-hmm. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. So just like we kind of gave clues around like resentment is like aged anger, obligations, has a side mm-hmm. of guilt. Um, the ways to figure out enmeshment or to notice enmeshment is manipulation. Mm-hmm. Like, are you, are you have you started to manipulate the situation mm-hmm. or have you skipped or jumped into problem solving? Yep. So if you have noticed those things, that you might have crossed that line now into enmeshment, right? So those are like just, again, cues and clues to get you to do some emotional auditing to to see where you are. It's always fascinating to me in the midst of these podcasts where I'm like, check, check, check. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) like, oh, more work to do. (laughs) But isn't it amazing that we have these like resources Mm -hmm. and insight? And I think, and and by the way, knowing these things doesn't mean you get them right. I mean, same, Mm -hmm. same here. Like in me, as I explain these things, I'm like, check, check, check today. Just in one day, Mm -hmm. I've done these Mm -hmm. things. Like I have Mm -hmm. noticed aged anger. I've done Mm -hmm. things because I know that if I don't do them, I'm going to feel guilty. I've Mm -hmm. jumped into problem solving because I wanted to control the other person's emotions because I don't want to feel bad. Like Mm -hmm. in the single day, I've done these with people I'm in a relationship with. So yes, Mm -hmm. like everybody's on this. Like listeners, foxes, you are not alone. At least two people here that is going, yep, (laughs) that's my regular day. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, that's the same. Yeah. And then uh, let's give some, you know, let's give some help to people, right? So if you, if you, if you're listening to this and you're feeling like this, these resonate with you, and you've done what we just said, which is check, check, check. Yeah, that's where I am. What can you do, right? How can you get in the way? How can you make sure that you get that balance of emotional responsibility with autonomy and self-respect? Mm-hmm. Communication, communication, <laughs> communication. <laughs> um, yes, but yeah. also let's talk about how. Mm-hmm. So. Ask before you act would be my rule of thumb for you. Mm. Ask questions from a curious, from a gentle curiosity about what the other person needs in that moment rather than assume, right? Mm. So you can ask questions like, would you like me to support you? Would you like me to listen? Would you like me to help you problem solve? Right? Mm. So get some uh, input from the other person and then check in with yourself to see what's available, right? Once Mm -hmm. you ask, listen to what they have to say as a request, not a demand, Mm -hmm. and check in with yourself to say, 
okay, can I fulfill those things, right? How can I support you? You know, if somebody says, you can support me by being at my bedside, you know, bedside and listen to every word I say for the next week, right? You might not be like, okay, I hear you. I'm not available for that. I have a life, which is very real, right? <laughs> and then you can say, okay, well, I might not be able to do it continuously for the next week, but how about, you know, we take this evening, we turn our phones off, we get cozy and, you know, you tell me what's on your mind and I'll listen to everything that you have to say, right? So mm-hmm. once you ask these questions, whatever you hear, um, hear them as requests and then check in with yourself to see what's available in me to fulfill this and then start from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it's about getting clear with yourself. What is your responsibility mm-hmm. and what belongs to the other person? Mm-hmm. And if you believe that you don't have good boundaries around this, then ask somebody, you know, who has really good and strong boundaries or find a therapist or a coach to support you. There are folks who are really good role models of this. And I am constantly in the practice of this. And what I heard you saying, Effie, before is figure out for yourself what makes sense, look for the internal clues, and then start to feel, figure out what belongs to you, what belongs to the other person, mm-hmm. how do you build some boundaries, and, and how do you get more support around that? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the old adage, thanks to the airlines, put on your own mask before helping others. You need mm-hmm. to make sure that you take care of yourself emotionally, that you're emotionally regulated in a way that you have excess and once you have extra when you have excess when you have more more available than that you need for yourself then you use that to support others yeah so let's listen to another question this time from our podcast hotline Mm -hmm. hi there i've been married to my wife for 24 years and about three years ago we opened the relationship and it's been generally really wonderful I ended up uh, getting much closer to a girlfriend than I initially expected. And 14 months later, in pandemic life, things were just too overwhelming and complicated for that to continue. And I had to break up with her, with the girlfriend. And we both want to ultimately establish uh, a friendship. And we both feel very good about the ability to do that. And my wife, does, my wife feels confident that we could and should as well because she really does like this person as a friend and a person. Um, my question is, how do you balance grieving and loss, which I'm going through currently, with how and when to try to reestablish connection and rebuild uh, a friendship? Wow. So when I hear this question, one of the first things that jump out of me is that how beautiful that everyone is able to talk about the relationship transition and have mm-hmm. the intention to be connected to one another one way or another. So, I mean, it's beautiful, right? And that's kind of what is the ideal of polyamory or non-monogamy or these sort of open relationships where you can transition from one type of relationship to another and at least Mm. remain civil or maintain relationships and connections and you know that's kind of the ideal that's the the ninja level stuff and it's not for it's not available for everyone it's just Mm -hmm. nice to hear when it works and even people feel like they have to shift priorities or show up for somebody else and transition out of a relationship they can still connect it and they have good intentions so i find that to be beautiful 
Yeah, I agree with you. I think what I love about this too is that it illustrates that relationships are not in a stagnant state, Mm -hmm. even when moving into poly or open relationships. Mm -hmm. I think that sometimes we think about moving into open and then you are there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And this shows that even within that, there's there's like opening and closing and transforming Mm -hmm. and moving Mm -hmm. and evolving and figuring out what consistently works within the relationship. How do you continue to design the relationships with your partners, with those around you so that you continue to feel like you're thriving. And when you start to feel like we are no longer thriving, mm-hmm. to realize that you have the ability then to make adjustments within your relationship with transparency, mm-hmm. with kindness, mm-hmm. so that you can try to find a state of thriving and mm-hmm. do the work around that. So I love that. I love it. I love it. Absolutely. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And then now to the question of um, how, how one went to try to reestablish connection and how to... Mm-hmm live the relationship out in its new dynamic in social service, social circles, which I think is also a noble intention to sort of say, Mm -hmm. okay, we are going to maintain this and we're going to keep it in the context of our social lives. And we're going to make sure that everybody feels that they're connected and how, what does that look like? So I think again, great intentions. Mm -hmm. I would say the important thing to understand is people grieve differently Grieving is a very personal, intimate experience and it takes people different ways to do it. You know, some people need to cry and howl and really, you know, get it out of them and get really messy and down. And some people go inside and they become contemplative and do it differently. Some people, you know, their grieving looks like partying hard right? Mm. Some people grieving looks like long walks in nature and um, solitude. So it Mm. looks different for different people. So just figuring out what grieving looks like for you, what you need to grieve, what do you need to really process the loss? What rituals do you need? What space do you need? What does it look like? What does it feel like? Right? So really kind of understand that I Mm. think is important and then communicate that to other people right? Like, this is what I need. I need some time on my own or I need to go out and like party because that's just how I'm going to grieve. That's I'm just going to shift my mind to something else and, you know, go into extra connection mode, right? Mm -hmm. So really figuring out what that looks like for you. And I think if you need that disconnection, if you need a period of disconnection to do the grieving, if that's what your grieving looks like, if that's how you process loss, it might not feel so disingenuous as everybody agrees to what grieving process looks like for them right so if you can communicate about not communicating and say Mm -hmm. this is what it takes for me to get over this right you can agree on how and when to break the silence you can maybe have a a schedule check-in right Mm -hmm. or if one person is more tender than the other maybe they can be the one that reaches out when they're ready Right. So you can have an initial connection that is about like, what is the ne- what is this grieving period going to look like and agree so that it doesn't feel so disingenuous. Right. Mm-hmm. You can then communicate that to your social circle as well. So we're going through a, a relationship transition. We're taking some time apart so we can metabolize it. In the meantime, we're just going to like give each other as much space as possible. You don't need to be awkward around us. You know, please invite whomever you're going to invite to whatever you want and we'll hand it ourselves, right? You either want to show up or you don't want to show up. And when you show up in the place, you want to say hello, you don't want to say hello. Like just agree on that up front and then you just let it 
you know, just let it happen. Mm-hmm. If space is what's required, then that's fine. And if it means that you keep some distance during this time, actually, this is kind of a good time to be keeping your distance anyway, then so be it. Yeah. I I mean, I appreciate how hard this is Mm -hmm. because not only is this decision that you've made with your wife and with your former partner to really invest some more energy in your primary partnership, it also just means that to your point, feelings are hurt and and to different degrees of that and figuring out what you need and what they need. And some of that's going to take trial and error. Mm -hmm. Some of it, you may feel like I need space. And then you realize that actually, no, now that leaves me just with all of this room to continue to think about them. And so I want more regular check-ins. And so allowing some evolution in whatever the request is and asking your wife and your former partner what they need as well. And realizing that that is going to continue to change so that maybe then you get to a place where there's friendship and you're spending some more time in a friendship way with your former partner and you realize there's still sexual em- energy and chemistry there and that becomes how do you navigate that and so now you want to have that conversation with them and then you want to go back and have that conversation with your wife or maybe then there's jealousy involved and I guess the, the point is that there's going to continue to be things that will come up in this process and that this process that Effie is or that rather the strategy that Effie is describing out of everyone gets clear about what they need and want Everyone communicates it. Everyone just tries to be as gentle as possible with themselves and others along the way. The only thing I would add here, particularly as it relates to social social circles, is not to force any expectations that don't need to be there. That if there is a particular thing that you want to go to or don't want to go to, if there is a particular you know friend that you want to stay connected with or don't, like allow what me what looks like thriving for you to lead. Mm-hmm. versus what you should do or will make people more co- like let everyone to the previous question everyone needs to manage their own feelings mm-hmm. so as long as you're honest with your feelings and they are with their own let's allow enough autonomy for people to navigate their own feelings without feeling obliged or guilty or resentful or all those other terms right in order to or meshed in what their feelings are mm-hmm. and it sounds like you guys are are doing a really great job of that so far yeah, no, it's beautiful. I mean, it's like a, it's a beautiful story. I just a quick story. In my pre- previous previous relationships, I actually facilitated a conscious uncoupling between two partners of mine, and it was a party. You know, we I threw them a party. It was where they kind of announced to their friends that they're no longer connected to each other romantically, and that they were uncoupling. And that it was, and and how they want things to be managed from there on. It was beautiful. It was a, we partied, we hugged and we, we were sad for a little bit. And then they kind of made speeches and told everybody what they like about the other person and why they don't think that the relationship needs, to, why they think the relationship is going to transition and kind of said to people, you know, and this is how we like to be treated during this time. Like you can support us this way. Don't worry about this. You know, it was it was beautifully handled, you know, and I I, I love it when I hear stories like this, when people are like, look, we're just going to we're people. We respect each other. We love each other. Relationships transform and transition. We're just going to manage it and be kind and compassionate and and onwards, you know. And I think the the thing that I would leave you with, which I think is the, the key here is that what feels disingenuous. I think things only feel disingenuous when there isn't transparency. Right. So if you need space, ask for space. If you need connection, ask for connection. If you can get transparent, whatever it is that you need won't feel disingenuous. It'll be quite the opposite. It'll be very authentic. And hopefully the other person or the other people can respect that. 
And the human side of it is it'll it'll be bumpy along the way. Mm-hmm. And again, you guys are doing it. Sounds like a really good job of mm-hmm. of continuing to check in with yourself around that and talking to each other. Nice. Speaking of communication, we got a question via our email at listening at We Are Curious Foxes. And so I'm going to read out that question for us. I like how we're storming through these as well, because we're just like, let's get all the questions in. So yeah, this is, we were like, we're going to get all the questions in. There are so many. It's true. It's true. It's true. So the question, what is the most compassionate and effective approach for discussing hypocrisy? What happens when an individual in a relationship where one partner talks one way and acts another? So for example, a partner states that age means nothing to them, but then they used ageist comments. Or another example, a partner seems to appreciate their lover's feminist views, but complains as equally when it is not put into action. So when their male partner doesn't seem to be tough enough or decisive enough or manly enough. Wow. Tricky one. Let's look at this in a couple of ways, right? So this is definitely tricky, though it might not be intentional. So let's say if intentional, like if this if this is happening intentionally, if they're saying one thing and doing something else and it's a pattern and it seems intentional, then I would say we are venturing um, in the territory of gaslighting, you know, and that is somewhat of a toxic dynamic. And I would say, take care of yourself. This might not be the best relationship dynamic for you. You know, like gaslighting is is like one of the the, the key indicators for toxic relationships. However, I'd like to make a charitable assumption that they are not aware of what's going on, that it is not intentional. And if that's not, if that's the case, let's say that is the case. Um, there are a few reasons why this might be happening, right? And it's worth thinking about what, why these things might be happening. One of the reasons that I can think of is that they might not be ready to live up to their values, right? And they might not be ready to do what it takes to actually live out their values. So a great example would be that if you're, if you're a man, it would take effort to be a true feminist, right? You'd have to give up space you'd have to give up power you'd have to make room you'd have to give maybe let go of things that mean mean valuable to you so even though you might you might subscribe to the ideals you might not be ready to do the things that really enact your ideals right so so when um sometimes when push comes to shove um they might not be ready to live their values their beliefs or ideals right that might be one of the reasons the other way to think about it is that often people report being intellectually ready for something, but not necessarily emotionally there. So a great example mm-hmm. that we always come across here is that you might be intellectually ready for your partner to date somebody else, then have a full-on meltdown emotionally when your, part go- when your partner actually goes on a date. Mm, yes. Yes. That completely resonates with me. Absolutely. I, and, and to your point, I think when I, I, as, as our podcast audience will know very, <laughs> know this story, probably know my story as much as their own. Um, I introduced open relationship into my relationship and then certainly the way in which it happened, it happened via some infidelity and, and that was challenging. When it started to actually happen and, and we had gone through the work of clearing up and, and then she was going on dates and spending time out, I really struggled. 
And I thought I was ready and I meant it. When I said I wanted to do this, that was true for me. And it really did feel different in practice. Mm -hmm. And so it was not a matter of intention. I did want it. And then the reality of it was very different. And, and that could be the case potentially in this where, you know, you have these feminist ideals of, yes, I, I want to be equal to my male partner. And, and then maybe then at some point she feels like, oh, wait a minute, some of those narratives mm-hmm. around what a man should be or what, you know, I want to, I'm, it doesn't matter what age the person is that I'm dating, younger, older, we're all mm-hmm. people. And yet that maybe in practice, she's starting to feel something different. Mm-hmm. And so that could be the reality that that meant that was very true for her. And in practice, she's realizing that she wants some different things. For sure. Yeah. So that could be one of the reasons. Another reason why why they might be showing out that way is good old fashioned ignorance. You know, mm-hmm. it's not it's not pretty, but it might be one of the reasons, you know, they may say they're not ageist or age doesn't matter, but they might not really know what that means. Or they might say they're feminist, but they might not really understand what that looks like in the world. So it could just be they think they understand and what it looks like, but they just they just don't. Mm. not pretty it's not nice but that might be one of the reasons mm-hmm. another reason could be um, a lack of self-awareness or privilege right it's hard to notice prejudice uh, when you are privileged you know they might not have awareness of how they're showing up you know a great example since we're talking about you know the examples were given as uh, ageism and feminism i just last weekend i was talking to a a friend of mine, she's, you know, she's beautiful and smart and successful. And we're talking about inequality in the workplace and she has her own business and I have my own business and we have to pitch to other people. And she was sort of saying how she's, she feels like she's never lost a pitch because she's a woman, you know, and, you know, she's, she was sort of challenging some of the feminist um, rhetoric. And I had to remind her that she is, a white, beautiful, well-presenting, well-educated woman that presents in a very certain way and that she does not necessarily represent the entire of the female experience, right? So Mm. for her, it was difficult to wrap her her head around what might be a broader female experience or or a woman's experience because her particular experience, uh, because she came from privilege, that she might, she didn't even realize some of the privileges she comes from, just sort of made her think that maybe feminism was was on the more on the extreme side. Mm-hmm. So that's just the lack of self awareness, or you know, in her case, it was definitely privilege. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, another reason there's so many reasons why this might be happening is cognitive dissonance. Um, cognitive dissonance means when you believe or think of something a certain way and then you act a different way right so a lot of the time we think of people who act against their own interest are in some sort of cognitive dissonance they say something mm-hmm. and they do something else uh, it's very common um, I mean I experience it on a personal level I actually uh, in this weird bizarre um, version of my life right now I live in the countryside somewhat mm-hmm. and um, there are like cows and chickens and all sorts of animal goats around me and I feel very strongly about how they're taken care of and they're well fed, they're kept clean, they get as much space as possible. If they're going to get transported from place to place, that they are safe and they feel comfortable, all that kind of stuff. And at the same time, I eat these animals on a regular basis. I get very particular about how they're going to get transported to the butcher who's going to kill them so I can eat them. 
but at the but at the end of the day, I eat them, right? So that is a, that is a type of cognitive cognitive dissonance, right? I think you know we should be really nice to animals, and then I go and eat them, right? So mm-hmm. that's what might be going on, like in her in their head, they might be feeling like you know they're a staunch feminist or that you know ageism is bad. But when it actually comes to action, they act against it. So it sounds like a, a type of cognitive dissonance. Mm-hmm. I think in all of these cases, and I can go on, I can I can come up with reasons why this might be happening. I think in all these cases, communication is what might move the needle here. So it might be mm. worth just speaking to them and speaking to your experience as much as you can and be curious about their take on it. So communication that goes along the lines of when I notice this, when I observe this, when I hear this, or when I hear you say, you know, whatever feels ageist and whatever feels as if it's promoting toxic masculinity, it feels against your values of this and this and this. I'm curious about your experience. I'm wondering what you're experiencing. Hmm. and then listen to to see if they can actually try to resolve it in themselves and give you some clues to why it might be showing up that way. Hmm. Yeah. First of all, I love that strategy of I noticed this and it feels like it's against your values of that. I'm wondering what your experience of that is. Hmm. And before, honestly, even you have that conversation, my question is, I'd love for you to explore what their hypocrisy triggers in you. Mm-hmm. So do you have values around justice or self-reflection or honesty that you feel like their behavior is budding against? Like why does their behavior or their experience with another partner bother you? Does it butt against your impression of them and make you think about your own integrity for being with them? I just, I encourage you to explore why it bothers you and what that discomfort is trying to tell you about you. So by focusing on what you can do, your choices, your behaviors, and your options, you may be able to focus less on their words and their behaviors and more on what you need to do to be in alignment and to thrive. I love that. This may not get resolved. You know, they may carry on living in their cognitive dissonance or whatever it is. And ultimately, you are going to decide what you're going to do. So I love that. Yeah, I love that. Best of luck. Love those questions. I know. And we got, we had so many questions. We only got to three. We will do more episodes like this mm-hmm. where we will answer more questions. And we would love for you to submit more questions because it provided really good food for thought for us and exploration mm-hmm. as we were thinking about which questions to answer and what our answers would be. And so let's keep doing this. Yeah. And if you would like us to answer your question on a future episode, you can share questions by a couple of ways. You can share them with us by taking a voice memo on your phone and emailing to us at listening at wearecuriousfoxes.com. That's listening at wearecuriousfoxes.com. Or you can go old fashioned way and you can record a question by calling the show. And our number is 201 870 0063. That's 201 201- 870-0063. By the way, you can find these contact details on our show notes as well. Yeah. 
And we have been thinking about the fact that because we have all these questions, we should actually start posting them on our Facebook, on our Instagram, and have more opportunities and more places for people to engage with each other and some of these Q&As. And so if you're interested in finding those and finding us on social media, then you can find us by looking at We Are Curious Foxes on Instagram, on Facebook. You should join those platforms, follow us so that you can get access to all of this content, as well as some behind the scenes of all our podcast process. If you want even more behind the scenes than that, then we encourage you to go onto Patreon. You can find us again at We Are Curious Foxes. If you support us on Patreon, you get some bonus episodes that are just for you. You get the opportunity to ask our upcoming guests questions. You get access to our archive of all of the videos of our online and in-person events. We are in the process of getting some swag, some merchandise together that you will get some free stuff. You'll get discounts to stuff. And so go on to Patreon. That is where you can find podcast, written things, engagement, ask me anything with Effie and so much more. Yeah, so much more. This episode is produced and edited by the warm and thoughtful Nina Pollock. Our intro music is composed by Dave Saha. We are, as always, so grateful for their work. And we are also grateful for you for listening. As always, stay curious, friends. Curious Fox podcast is not and will never be the final word on any topic. We solely aim to encourage curiosity and provide a space for exploration through connection and story. We encourage you to listen with an open and curious mind and we'll look forward to your feedback. Stay curious, friends. Stay curious. 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 Stay curious.